Hello and welcome to this special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. I'm Father Adam Potter, and today we reflect on the 18th letter that's all about love and marriage. We see that Screwtape lays out very clearly um, God's standard regarding sexual activity that is either abstinence or, mono- or monogamy within marriage. Screwtape will then go on to explain how drastically different the perspectives are between God and Satan on the designs of sexual union between a man and a woman. I think we all kind of have this sense that like, yeah, yeah, of course they're different. But wow, is it powerful to appreciate just how radically different the views, the philosophies are between God and Satan. Well, we're at the 18th letter and you're still here. You're still listening. So um, I'm grateful for it. You weren't thrown off completely by being convicted of being gluttonous yourself. And um, hopefully this letter doesn't throw anyone off either as we get into the design of God's plan for marriage, oftentimes in our own shortcomings and our own imperfections, it can be very crippling and we can feel very far from God and it all. And do not let that lie come into your heart, cast it out um, and ask the Holy Spirit to really protect your heart, to be able to see the beautiful ideal that God has prepared for us does not keep us from finding his mercy in our imperfection that can actually allow us in our own broken situations to find a glorious redemption in him and in him and in his love, which is the ultimate invitation always that we would find our path towards God, not dependent upon ourselves, our own effort or our own achievements, but truly it is God's work within us to bring about a glorious redemption. So, let's dive in. First, just to point out, I think it's really interesting that it took us all the way into letter 18 for Screwtape to talk about sexual temptation. 18, right? I think most of us, whenever we think about the temptations of the devil, like, number one, number one, start off right away. It's going to go for the sexual temptations. And what do you think C.S. Lewis is trying to teach us in this pedagogy that it's not until over halfway through the book that finally we get to sexual temptations? I think this is so good for us, especially as um, Americans today that are just so saturated with sexual images and every everywhere, that for the evil one, gosh, he loves to pick first at our pride, at our domestic relationships, right? Between um, mothers, fathers, siblings, right? To go for these easy ways to tear us down first and foremost. That as much as our secular world might be obsessed with sexual relations and everything, gosh, the evil one, if he doesn't have to, uh, (laughs) will not necessarily go there first and foremost. Paragraph two opens up with the dilemma that God has placed on the human race in regards to his demands on sexuality, either complete abstinence or unmitigated monogamy. Complete abstinence, meaning if you're not married, 
you have to abstain from all sexual activity. If you are married, great, but that sexual activity has to be contained within that one relationship. Why is this a dilemma? Well, I think we can say because there's no option that does not include virtue. That was a double negative. Every option requires virtue, which means self-mastery. And for a corrupted nature through sin that we all have, this is really difficult, or many of us would say unfortunate. Goodness, even in marriage, there's a call to chastity, to really love your spouse in a way that does not seek to use or objectify them. There is a denial of one's own sexual impulse for the good of the marriage. I've come to appreciate that the Christian perspective is an equal opportunity offender. In my opinion, it's been really unfortunate that there has been such a harsh critique of the church's position against homosexuality. Why are the Christians so harsh on gay people? And the reality is that we're just as harsh on those who are fornicating as we are on two people of the same sex engaging in an immoral lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? That the sexual act is good and a holy embrace that is reserved wholly for marriage. John Paul II will say as much in his book, Love and Responsibility, that marriage is an institution that in a sense is, a, is designed to protect the sexual act. Based on the level of intimacy, vulnerability, and responsibility that sex demands, it can only be engaged in rightly within the marital context. And this is hard for people really hard. Where's the path where I can just indulge and um, get everything that it's like, no, there's the path towards holiness includes self-denial and virtue. Screwtape says he wants people to think that, quote, being in love is the only respectable grounds for marriage. And when those feelings fade, the marriage is, quote, no longer binding. This is a great insight and hopefully is obvious why this is true. Later on, Screwtape will say that the romantic feeling of being in love is only the raw material for the marital love. That initial attraction and chemistry that a couple can have is great, but if the whole relationship is based solely off of the feelings that exist, then who can commit to that? I can't even commit right now to feeling the same way in 10 minutes after this podcast is over, let alone 10 years from now, (laughs) right? Marriage has to be based off of a deeper love that chooses the good of the other, despite the emotions that I feel or experience right now. This is a true sacrificial love that proves itself through the difficult times. So a question that arises, if a marriage should be not based on feelings of love alone, what should it be based on? And here we already talked about commitment or loyalty. How about being based on a faith and belief in God? This idea that I want to get the other person to heaven. That's my goal. How about the rearing and education of children? We want our love to be so real that it overflows into new life and new generations. And then we can also talk about being based on faithfulness and sacrifice and mutual respect and chastity and all those things too. Again, 
don't necessarily boil down to a real good, warm, fuzzy, ecstatic feeling. Okay, let's move on. Here is where in the third paragraph, we have Screwtape describe the philosophy of hell as a zero-sum game. This might sound like it comes out of nowhere, but listen to this description, and then we can see if we can connect it to love and marriage. Quote, The whole philosophy of hell rests on recognition of the axiom that one thing is not another thing, and especially that one self is not another self. My good is my good, and your good is yours. What one gains, another loses. End quote. This is a dastardly description. <laughs> I would say dastardly in, a, in the sense that this is the way that most Americans live their lives, that everything is a competition. They operate out of a scarcity model where if I give, then I lose. If someone takes something from me, then I'm down a notch. That I'm in competition with everyone is seen in the way we do sports and school and grades and getting accepted to college and getting accepted to internships internships and jobs and work positions, etc., etc. This is the way we often experience life. And then we start to operate out of it and to see the world through this lens. Why is this such a powerful philosophy? Because it's so close to being true. Ultimately, we'll see in the next paragraph that it doesn't actually hold water in the full sense of being true, but it can be the way that we experience life. And this is a great philosophy of hell because it is opposed to the philosophy of love and yet so close, but just twisted just a bit, right? Where everyone is not in competition with one another in the philosophy of love. There is no scarcity of good things and there is the law of the gift as John Paul II called it, where the more I give, the more I gain. So let's go then to God's philosophy. (laughs) Please, let's go to God's philosophy. It's described in the fourth paragraph where Screwtape mocks this apparent absurdity that things are not necessarily in competition, but could have a common good between them that the whole could be greater than the sum of the parts, this idea of love that finds a mathematical contradiction, where one's good can simultaneously be another's good, and when they come together, they sum not to three, not to three only, we can say, but also to one. This now gets to the very nature of who God is, an eternal exchange of self-giving love, The more the father gives himself to the son, the more he finds himself as the son gives himself to the father. Their common good is the gift of their mutual love that is the Holy Spirit. They are three, but eternally united as one. Friends, how amazing is this? That we are made in the image and likeness of God. Our image, our original, is the eternal Trinitarian exchange of love. That means that built into our DNA and the fiber of reality is the same glorious love. So what's the purpose of this transcendental and eternal state of being that happens when a couple unites in marriage, unites as one flesh? Go to paragraph five. And here we find that Screwtape lays out the glorious way that 
God made sex not simply as an innocent natural interaction between competitors like the was it the spiders um, where the the female spider then consumes the other one. No, God made humans with the desire to unite and reproduce. He built that into us so that we could come together, not as competitors, but as mutual companions, both desiring to give ourselves away in love for the good, not just of oneself, but for the other and for any offspring that would come. And then God was so creative, right? All-knowing, perfect, that he made humans with the desire to support the children that come. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Like, how did you do that? These children that would come that for all intents and purposes, if we're honest, are burdensome. They can't contribute (laughs) anything right away other than needing to be fed, needing to be cared for, needing to be changed and cleaned and you do it all over again. And this produces the family, which is an icon of the Trinitarian love of God who in a sense is an eternal family from which every family gets their DNA. It's all about giving us greater access to him, to love. That is God's plan, brothers and sisters, that built into our desire to give ourselves away in love is the very starting point of a way that we can allow God's love to be more manifest in this world in particular through the family. Okay. In the final long paragraph six, Screwtape now goes to town on the reality of the one flesh union. This is fascinating because the one flesh union is not only something that God recognizes, but also the demons, right? Sometimes we think that these supernatural realities are only things that God made up. No, these supernatural realities are realities. If God recognizes them, then so do the demons. I guess whether they like it or not. And with one flesh unions, they like it when they can distort the reality to their patience. So here the point is made in the sixth paragraph that humans seem to operate from a misconception that only happily married couples are one flesh. When in reality, as long as the couple made promises before God and family, then it is real, whether it feels like it or not. And this can be a hard reality. It should be said that God doesn't want couples in an unhappy marriage to be miserable. He really doesn't, despite what sometimes it feels like or sounds like the church is communicating. But the reality is what is binding is binding. This word indissoluble, the union between a husband and a wife, that before God, what God has brought together, no man can separate or divide. In this indissoluble binding of the union is so important to maintain because it gives us a glimpse into the indissoluble love that God has within himself, but also that God has for us, for you, and for me. Um, Here's a quote that I found really powerful. Humans can be made to infer the false belief that the blend of affection, fear, and desire, which they call being in love, 
is the only thing that makes marriage either happy or holy, end quote. I don't know about you, I find it really sickening the way that he describes romantic love as being some, um, as being something simply as a cocktail of emotions. Like you add a little affection and fear and desire and there you get the romantic love. But it's pretty right on <laughs> in the way that it, it kept, I've never just thought of romantic love as being all of that affection, fear and desire. Okay, but we need to talk about this. What does it mean that this is not the only thing that makes a marriage happy or holy? This is a great question. Again, God does not desire the misery of married couples. But I think we could say that he allows for a purification and sanctification to occur when a selfless and sacrificial love is required. This is where true love can be manifested Because if an act of love is chosen despite there not being any personal benefit for the individual, that's how you know it's authentically selfless. This now starts to imitate God's love for us. Right? Okay, so screw tape, he often calls us humans vermin. God really loves the vermin. (laughs) But in many ways, we do act like it towards God. We reject him, we abandon him, and we refuse to trust him time and time again. And yet, he still chooses to love us. That's why it's a lie to think that being in love is the test of a marriage, being happy or holy. There's actually great joy in loving selflessly. The last part of this paragraph six and the end of this letter are these two advantages that follow from thinking that romantic love always precedes the real bond of marriage. The first advantage, those without any romantic feelings can be led to think that they are not supposed to marry. What this means is that they value being in love above the actual values that married love can bring despite the feeling. I just thought that was an incredible insight. I've never thought about it like that. Um, if so, if, if you're not in love, and you think, well, if, if I'm not in love, if I don't feel this attraction, then I'm not supposed to get married, is really then putting my own emotions above the objective values that come from being married, which we already identified earlier as being God's design, his plan to bring about his love through the family. So he says it like this. They regard the intention of loyalty to a partnership for mutual help, for the preservation of chastity, and for the transmission of life as something lower than a storm of emotion. End quote. Oh gosh, isn't that incredible? They regard the intention of loyalty to a partnership for mutual help, for the preservation of chastity, and for the transmission of life as something lower than a storm of emotion. All of the goods that come from marriage... If I were to, if I were to determine is something not for me because I don't feel in love, then I'm putting my own emotional state above these objective goods. I think that's right. Now it's also complicated and there are a lot of things, other uh, factors out there, but yeah, I think that's pointing to something really true. The second advantage 
is that the romantic feeling that can come over an individual can lead them away from a holy marriage and actually lead them to marry someone who is, quote, a heathen, a fool, or a wanton, end quote. If you're like me, you have no idea what a wanton is or means. And so after a Google search, I found out that it means someone who is sexually unrestrained or promiscuous. Thank you, Google. Uh, okay, is, is this the case? Is this the case or not? That if we follow our passions exclusively, right, without discernment, without self-control and virtue, then that we can find ourselves in relationships that maybe we never intended to be in. And if that's the case, then perhaps God never intended us to be there either. This is what our world would say. No, no, no. You have to give in to your emotions. You have to give in to your passions. It's like this mortal sin that our world holds up that if we go against our passions or our desires, then we're contradicting ourselves, which is so, 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 so alive from hell and just not true. The Lord has given us not just passions and desires, but he's also given us an intellect. And the path towards virtue is to bring these desires under our intellect that can see what is true, what is good, not just for me, but also for others around me. And so in this case, right, I really have a a problem with this idea that we can't help who we fall in love with. I I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I just, I fell in love and then uh, the passion started going and the emotions took off and now all of a sudden we're dating and we're engaged and we're not looking back. And meanwhile, it's like, but they don't share your faith. They're, are they, are they a heathen, a fool or a wanted, right? Like, like, is this who we've allowed our, our heart and by our heart, we mean like hmm, our passions, our desires, our impulses, just the person that we've allowed ourselves to be given over to. Ah, can we help who we fall in love with? It's an interesting question. I think we know that we need to be protected so that we can grow in self-mastery, self-control, and ultimately experience the true love that God has for us. So with that, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. And in a special way, we just commend ourselves to the intercession of St. Michael. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Drybones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. God love you guys. Persevere. Keep going. It's been a joy for me to be with you. Let's keep each other in prayer. And I look forward to being with you next time. God bless.